East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome to East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and a lot of stuff in between. I'm your host, Paul Fox, coming to you from sunny but cool South Florida. And coming to us in these last days of the Year of the Tiger is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hey, hey, hey. Uh, early gong hei fa choi to you, Mr. Yes, Fox. early gong hei fa choi. And uh, you getting them red packets ready, sir? You are now you are now a married man, so you join the ranks of the rest of us who have to distribute rather than receive. <laughs> see, see, here's the thing: this isn't new to me because I live alone. So that means for the last 10, 15 years I've lived alone, I've had to do this thing for the security guards because you know what yeah, most yeah. people in Hong Kong live in you know buildings of security guards, and during New Year's, of course, your security guard station is the most secured place in the world because every all the security guards come back to work for get for that <laughs> New Year's red packet. So I've been doing it for the last uh, fifteen years or so, and since I don't work in an office as a freelancer. I don't see that many people during New Year's. I don't have to go back to an office. Unlike my wife, who has to go back to her work and hand out red packets. So most of the red packets go to her. I just have to do the, um, the security guard duty. If you're not in in the awareness of the, the tradition here, during Lunar New Year, um, for like the first 15 days or so, you are supposed to give out red packets. Um, Wait to... a minute. Is it 15? Holy shit. I think it's 15. Well... I don't know if it's all 15, but I know that you're not supposed to open them until after the 15th day. So if you right. get get a red packet, you're not supposed to like open it and look inside and see how much until the 15th day has passed. So I always assumed that you're supposed to give them out until the 15th day too, but maybe it's maybe it's earlier than that that you're supposed to stop. But the so the, the thing is is if you're a married couple, you're supposed to give them out to people who are not married. I mean, normally this is right. kids, and so for kids, it's like, you know, it's like a, a Christmas time because they're getting all this money, and they're looking forward to it, and they're being extra nice to their elders and whatnot. Yeah, you, um, you don't give it to your uh, you don't give it to your unmarried 70-year-old uncle. No, you don't. Yeah. But, well, there are some who will still try and get it. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are some, there are some people I know who are, you know, they're up there. They're technically an an auntie or an uncle who still asks people to call them brother or sister, you know, in, in terms of an honorific, and they'll they, they want their red packet money because they're not married. But yeah, I mean, it's it's supposed to be for kids, but people in the service industry too, um, especially people that you kind of see frequently, you know, um, mm-hmm. you're kind of expected to give them out. So if you have a building security guard who's usually like an elderly person. Um, but not always, but usually, you know, they'll be extra nice. They'll come hold the door for you and, you know, to make sure that they're going to get their red packet. And we didn't have security because we lived in a village. But I remember we would go to the same restaurants to have dim sum, you know, to yum cha. And mm-hmm. the waitresses and the the servers would all know us because we were, you know, there pretty much every week. So they'd, they'd get to know us. But then 
you know, we'd have some who are really nice to us throughout the year, but then others would be especially nice to us. And then people we'd never even <laughs> see. It's like they could just come out of the woodwork if you in the days after if you go to Yamcha, right? They just come out of the woodwork and come to your table and talk and chat you up and like, you know, they're they're waiting for their their red packet. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a culture, you know, all to itself, but it's a fun one nonetheless. Um, un- unless you're broke, which, you know, I've been there sometimes and then you just stay home and hide from people for <laughs> the next two weeks. So you don't have to give out any red packets. See, I don't, I don't wait, I don't wait two weeks because in Hong Kong, you know, we have the first, um, three days of the new year as the holiday. Right. So right. for me, after the, the, the public holidays, that's it. That's it. No more, yeah. no more red packets. Well, there's, you there's, work, you don't get it. Sorry. I guess there's like, technically, right. There's certain days like the, the, the first day, you're, I guess you're supposed to stay home or supposed to only see, like, immediate family, like your parents or something. And then, like, the next day is for slightly extended family, and the day after that's supposed to be, like, friends. And and, and so there's there's actually, like, a traditional hierarchy of who you're supposed to visit on certain days. Not everybody follows this, of course. This is very kind of tra- tradition going back a while. But, you know, it's an interesting thing to do, and, you know, kids really get a kick out of it because they get this you know, a uh, big influx of money this time of year that uh, they've got uh, extra pocket money and, and not, no, not small amounts. I mean, my brother-in-law, he's, he's an adult now. He's not married yet, but probably pretty soon. But when he was younger, he would leave Hong Kong to go to mainland, right? So he would not want to come and visit us and have like New Year's dinner with us and stuff because he'd want to stay in China with his relatives in China because he would make bank they would just, you know, also male child, obviously. So they would just shower him with massive red packets. He would come home with all this money and, you know, and he'd like buy new computers and stuff and all these video games and things. So, um, so yeah, for kids, it's, it's, it's a really big time. And of course it's a fun time to be in Hong Kong because of all the decorations and, and things like that. Do you guys have anything planned this year? I mean, um, nothing too special. I mean, um, my wife's of course, of course, she's planning to get flowers to put at home, which I've never done before because you know in, it's Hong Kong, it's a small flat. I don't have much room for that stuff, but she wants to put up some flowers. Uh, of course, we're doing the New Year's dinner uh, with my in-laws. Actually, my extended family ha- has canceled dinner for the last three years <laughs> because of the pandemic, so we haven't had a proper New Year's dinner or even family dinner uh, during the whole pandemic era, uh, which is why actually I've had this the biggest impact on me during the pandemic. I haven't lost that many jobs, you know, because the film industry still sort of kept rolling, but I lost all my New Year's money for the last three years because I haven't seen my extended family. Um, but yeah, we're doing the... So I'll be dining with my in-laws and then, um, uh, of course, I go to Wan Tai Sin Temple, which is what I always do on New Year's Day, but I haven't done it for the last three years of the, because of the pandemic, but now I feel safer to go. I think it's okay to go, so I'll do that stuff. But not not like the um, not as not go as far as what you were saying about oh, only seeing certain people on certain days. I've never done that. So right. otherwise, it's lots of movies, um, hanging out, do some work. I have some projects to do over the, the holiday. I have two films out of the subtitle, so I'll be working. All right. Well, that sounds good. Um, we are not here to, you know, uh, ramble on and on, of course, about the holidays. But if you're selling, celebrating them this year, we do uh, hope you have a safe and happy one. What are we here to talk about this time, sir? We're not talking about any specific movie. Blah, 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 my favorite things. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't want to sing. I almost I almost started singing, but I, I did not sing. Yeah, we, were gonna, we thought we'd 
be nice to, you know, sort of take an episode uh, since we, you know, really only had one episode come out last year. We we recorded two, okay, but there's only one in the 2022 uh, listing because one of them got lost. Thank you. Uh, thank you, uh, computer glitch or whatever it was that took that episode away. And that was an episode we recorded on the film uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once, which is a good episode, but unfortunately, uh, it's no more. So um, hopefully that won't happen to this episode or any future episodes, but it does. No, so. that, that episode has gone everything, everywhere on. Yes, it yes. is. It, it is. went into the multiverse. It is out there in the multiverse, yes. somewhere becoming a big hit, <laughs> but not, not, in this, yes. not in this multiverse universe here. Um, so, yeah, we thought we'd take some time and just kind of reflect back on some of our favorite things of uh, 2022. And I had a lot, so I wanted to limit us to kind of picking our favorite five from last year. So we're just going to kind of go back and forth and, and share some of these ideas and um, talk a little bit about, you know, maybe why, why we liked it, why we'd recommend it to the listeners out there. So, um, Kevin, let me uh, let you go up first. Yeah. So, uh, of course, I have my own sort of top 10 lists of films. I usually do top 10 Asian films, top 10 Western films. But um and of course, there are really great stuff, you know, like West Side Story, the the, the Spielberg film, and um, uh, Tar, and stuff that everyone would talk about, everyone would mention as the best films of 2022. But I am not the kind that sort of wants to just go along with the flow and talk about films or TV series that everyone has watched already. So I try to sort of stay off the the mainstream, or you know, just just talk about stuff that maybe people less people have seen. Um, and the thing is, I don't watch that many TV series. I don't have time to watch that many TV series. I work in film mostly, and I'm trying to have sort of a yearly personal quota of films I want to watch. So I spend most of my time watching films. Um, but I do, I did watch at least two very memorable TV series this year. And one of them, it's actually a huge hit, so it's not really a, a, um, a undiscovered uh, gem or anything is actually is a French TV series called My Agent. I've been waiting to watch it. I've been wanting to watch it for a while, and suddenly I decided to pick it up in 2020, uh, 2022 for some reason, and I just fell in love with it. I ripped through the first two seasons in 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 one go in, in a very short amount of time, in like a week and a half. And then um, two weeks ago, when I found out that Hong Kong Netflix is going to remove it um, on the day before Chinese New Year, I knew I had to rip through the the other two seasons right away so now i'm only one episode left before i finish it um in case you don't know it's a it's a tv series about a a talent agency in uh, in france one of the top talent agencies it's actually a comedy show it's a fictional agency but what they do is they hire the cast real stars to play sort of these fictional funnier version of themselves and you kind of have to know some of the french actors or what they're known for to kind of get the joke for example they uh, Isabel Huppert shows up in one episode, and she play, um, she makes fun of her own sort of uh, this image of her being this over workaholic, you know, always working two or three projects at the same time and taking on any project that comes her way. For example, there's a Hong Sang Soo joke in there that only people who know her career would know. Uh, there's an episode with Monica Bellucci who, um, in which she only wants to find a normal guy. Which is funny because you know Monica Bellucci has dated very, very beautiful and famous men and married some of them. So that's kind of a joke. And it makes fun of the French film industry. And uh, I just watched the 
fifth episode of the of the fourth season, which uh, has Sigourney Weaver as the first Hollywood star in the show. Sigourney Weaver shows up and speaking fluent French, and it's a hilarious episode. Um, so for someone who's kind of in the know of some of these jokes and and loves to know how the 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 industry operates, I find it uh, a really hilarious show. But also, I think the the character dynamics and the wit and the way they send up or the way that these real people make fun of themselves in this show, I think is the thing that really appeals to audiences uh, outside of the industry. And for me, it just works. Um, I, I know the fourth season came out, I think, uh, two years ago or three years ago, and there hasn't been anything since. But I hope that the the rumored fifth season will pan out. If not, at least make the movie. Please just give us an ending to to this wonderful story. Um, even if the fourth season wasn't really as good as the previous ones, but I really would like to see um, a proper ending to to this great show. All right, so I guess I'm up. Uh, this one is a, a is a bit of a cheat because we talked about it last week, right? Uh, but I do need to recommend once again Warriors of Future. Um, and if yeah. you haven't listened to the show, go back and listen to it. It was one of my favorite things of last year. Um, it's certainly not a perfect movie, um, but if you like sci-fi, you like Asian movies or Hong Kong cinema, I think you're really going to get a kick out of it. So um, don't waste any time. Go and watch it. Go back and listen to our episode and tell us what you think. Yeah, I, I'm just so thankful it finally, finally came out. I mean, even I've heard some sort of behind-the-scene gossip, I think, right beginning of the pandemic or around 2020, and we were like, it's never going to come out because of this and this and this. And then it finally came out. So I was, I'm just so happy it's finally out in the world. Yeah, And, you know, on a slightly side note, um, I did notice that it looks like the AMC Theater down in Miami is going to be getting um, The Wandering Earth 2 when it's mm-hmm. getting a day and date release. But um, I saw the running time. It's like two hours and 50 minutes. <laughs> it is three hours long, and I have no, no one knows what the movie's actually about, and it's three hours long. And, and so I'm thinking to myself, okay, I got like an hour and a half drive down there and an hour and a half drive back, <laughs> and then three hours of movie? No, I can't do it. I'm sorry. I cannot. <laughs> But the, th- the thing is, for once, the movie will be longer than the actual travel time, and you'll feel like it's worth it. <laughs> I will feel like I'm on a wandering earth, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, back over to you, sir. What's, what's your next pick? Okay, so um, now to a film. Um, it's a film that came out actually earlier in 2022. Um, I watched it because I had to vote for the Film Independent uh, Spirit Awards. I don't really have to actually pay for the membership and for the right to, to vote. But anyway, um, it's a really incredible film called The Novice. Um, and the, if the film looks like or sounds like Whiplash to you, it's because the director actually worked on Whiplash. Um, the film is about a female um, rower uh, who sort of gets obsessed winning because uh, I think for her it it was the key to a scholarship and to keep her row in the in the university. Her so she gets up and but then the thing is it's more more than that for her. For her, it's about the obsession winning, the obsession with pushing herself further and and just winning it's that competitive spirit of athletes and it's done in such a really intense way and and like whiplash is so stylish and it's so such a thrill to watch and unfortunately the film kind of came and gone because it premiered at a 
festival that not many people tip as an important festival. It, 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 it premiered in Tribeca in New York. It's still a major festival, but it's not one that a lot of people would look for great films for, unfortunately. It didn't have a sales agent that pushed it to festivals abroad. Um, so it kind of came and went. But I thought it was intensely stylish. I found it very thrilling, and I found the character really interesting. And it's just a really good sort of one of those obsession with winning sports film that um, I think that's going to entertain a lot of people. But um, so I hope people really take the effort to seek it out. All right. My next pick is um, an anime series um, that is renewed in 2022. Um, It is based on a series that was done earlier as kind of a series of Uh, I kind of want to say like webtoons or web shorts, although I don't think they were put on the internet. I think they were just kind of put in front of other programs originally. Uh, Anyway, that is the series called Thermae Romae Novae. If you're not familiar with this, this is a series based on manga um, that was eventually created into this very short form anime and has now gotten a full anime treatment. Um, It tells the story of a uh, Roman bathhouse architect um, named Lucius, and he somehow ends up falling through time at various points in his life, ending up in Japan, modern Japan, and experiencing their bathhouse culture, their toilet culture. Um, and of course, you know, he's, he's a person out of time. He's, you know, he's an ancient Roman. He can't speak the language or anything. So he has these like momentary interactions before he gets pulled back to ancient Rome where he's then tasked with various, you know, by various people like emperors and and patriarchs and leaders to improve the the Roman sort of bathhouse culture and he comes up with these new ways of doing things and these new innovations based on the things he experiences in modern day Japan. So it's it's like this cyclical you know, loop that ends up happening um, in terms of bath culture, which is really very interesting. If you're interested in bath culture, bathhouse culture, um, either in in either context, you know, that of ancient Rome or that of contemporary Japan, it's it's a fascinating work, um, especially because of the attention to cultural detail on both sides by the author and the way that the anime has now sort of kind of brought that out. The original anime series is out there. It's available, I think, on Amazon Prime. Um, and stylistically, it's not that nice to look at because of the way it was done. Uh, it was kind of done on the, on the cheap, almost like flash animation style in some ways. Um, it still tells the same story, but in a much shorter form. Here you've got much, you know, a, a, a series of about, you know, I think it's 12 episodes that are you know, pretty much contemporary anime storytelling. Um, And the nice thing is at the end of every episode, you have the author herself then kind of going around to very famous spots, um, different spas, different resorts, different bathhouses, and exploring different aspects of bath culture or what they call onsen culture um, in, in various forms. Sometimes it's about the water they use, this natural spring water, um, sometimes it's about the foods they prepare um, or just different ways of doing things. So it's a really um, well-produced and, and very, I think, culturally interesting um, 
return to this. And it's something that I really, really came away loving. And I was so happy that they returned to it and, and gave it sort of this full anime treatment. And so that's on Netflix and you can check it out. But there are also two live action movies that were produced. Those are out there and they're available. I, I remember, I don't remember the lead actor, maybe you remember Kevin, but the actress was Aya Ueto, who I'm a big fan of. And I think it diverges a little bit. Um, I had a hard time. I've, I've tracked down the first film's Blu-ray, the second one. They're both out of print now. I'm still waiting to try and get a hold of that before I watch them because I kind of want to watch them back to back. And they're unfortunately not available on any streaming services or anything like that. So it's really you're, you're kind of at the mercy of trying to track down um, used or collected physical media versions. Um, and those are few and far between right now. Um, but uh, Kevin, did you ever see the live action ones back in the day? Oh yeah, no, I love the the first two films. I actually had the Blu-rays and I sold them as Sino. <laughs> so if you had wanted it, I would have just mailed them to you. But I ripped them and I have them on on Google Drive. I, I'll send it to you. Um, yeah, no, I I I love those films. Unfortunately, I just I was try, I was trying to you know cut down on on physical disc because of the at the time the impending uh newcomer in the in the household um so so i met my wife by moving it so <laughs> i had to you know remove things and clear out my shelves and you know take out and sell whatever you know the idea is that you know films there are a whole set might have been easier to sell so i sold so i sold both discs but yeah no i i, I love those films uh the actor is abe hiroshi yes that's right uh Thank the you. incredibly tall handsome deep voice and a, and and really perfect casting because he, he looks just like the character he does yeah. he he really does yeah. he's he's i mean just with with very minimal makeup he looks very greek uh, or very roman i should say it's it's really um you know it's it's really a great casting all around yeah yeah so so i love i had no idea that they re, we actually read the anime so now i have to put it on my list and i have to watch it all right. The third film, also a Japanese uh, uh, film, this is a Japanese animated film. It's called Inuo, and you should, you might have heard of this because um, there was an awards campaign, or there is an ongoing awards campaign. So the film did get nominated for best animated film at the Golden Globes, um, and I think it's shortlisted shortlisted for the Oscars. But we won't know. I mean, by the time the show come goes out, I think the Oscar nominations would have been announced. But at this point, we don't know if it's going to get the uh, the final five nominations. But um, it's a it's a period piece. But it, it doesn't really play like a period piece because, interestingly, it's about this um, the sort of ancient art of kabuki. I think kabuki can correct me later on, but it's it's an ancient art of sort of the song performance, song storytelling in Japan. But the way they retell the story, it's about this sort of legend of this famous sort of creature called Inuo, um, kind of weird, deformed human being who has an amazing musical talent how he changed the sort of face of Japanese traditional music. But in the film, the way they did it is using sort of rock music. Um, so he uses um, the sort of rock style to tell, to play the sort of traditional Japanese art of storytelling. And it, of course, it rouses up the, the, the traditionalists, the conservatives. And, and that's why it used this, this, this sort of modern rock music to sort of uh, play up this idea of how rebellious um, this this person was and from the second half once the second half starts once the music really starts because the first 30 minutes or so 
it's a little dry because it's setting the world up and and it takes a little bit of time but once the the the, the main character or the inuo the character inuo is introduced and he starts playing music man it really takes off especially because i love the music obviously if you don't love the music then you might not follow it but i love the music and i watched it at, at the theater um at the hong kong asian film festival and that movie just rocks as someone who is a huge fan of sort of musical films or music related films that movie rocked it's certain it was the rockiest movie of 2022 and i just loved watching it um the second half just went by in a flash so um I really love it, and if you can find it in America, I think there is a distributor because it does have this Oscar campaign going. Um, do seek it out and watch it with headphones or turn it up loud or whatever. Do it do it the Terrence Malick Blu-ray style. Turn it up to 12 and watch it loud. It, it, it's really a rocking... Oh, God, this is such a cliche. It's a rocking good time. <laughs> All right, I look forward to seeing that when I get a chance, for sure. Okay, my next pick, probably one that uh, doesn't need a lot of... Uh discussion because it was really just kind of making waves not just in the united states but uh, globally on netflix and that is the new series from tim burton called wednesday which follows uh, the exploits of a teenage wednesday adams as she gets enrolled in a sort of a private school for uh, strange kids like herself it really does some interesting things in terms of uh, the world building and the focus instead of being on the adams family altogether um although they do all make appearances throughout the series, um, really focusing on the central character of Wednesday and giving her probably a lot more depth than she's ever had before. Um, but beyond that, it's very interesting in the way they kind of build out the world into um, perhaps much more of a supernatural world than the Adams family has ever been situated in before. They've always kind of been this weird family um, early on, even in the the Hollywood films, but this one really kind of puts him in there with, um, you know, other supernatural beings. So if you're somebody who likes getting a bit deeper into sort of that gothic uh, lore, that that kind of stuff, I think this will really appeal to you. Tim Burton produced, and uh, he actually directed a couple of the episodes. It does have his touch in quite a few places, though I would say that it's not as aesthetically overblown as his work tends to be. Um, this might have been because of, you know, budgetary constraints as a series versus a versus a film. Um, but really, I mean, everybody got, has to, you know, point to and applaud uh, the performance of the lead actress, Jenna Ortega, who just really knocks it out of the park um, with her mannerisms and her quirks as Wednesday Adams. Um, the rest of the casting, I think, I think is great. There was some controversy about the casting, I think, of Luis, Luis Guzman as Gomez. And I personally think that's misplaced. I think he was great. And I think, you know, you can have you can have your Gomez be like Raul Julia or you can have him be, um, you know, uh, like Luis Guzman and both have a place, especially if you go back into the very early history of uh, the Adams as a cartoon strip. So I really loved it. And I know they're making uh, a part two, which we're probably not going to see for a couple years which I'm kind of, you know, I'm very trepidatious about because it, I really like the first season so much that I kind of want to end it there. I want to leave it as, as good as it was for me. Um, and I, I'm afraid that if they drag it out uh, further, it will just go down from here. 
Um, but we'll see. Time will tell. Did I know from some groups and things that I'm in and that my wife is in that it was getting quite a bit of uh, talk over in Hong Kong. Did you ever get a chance to catch it? it it's pretty popular in Hong Kong. Um, but I, I it got a lot of people sort of talking about Tim Burton because Adam's family is not really a established IP, so to speak, in Hong Kong. But um, it, it, you know, the fact that Tim Burton did it got a lot of people talking. But um, I haven't watched it. I, like I said, I've been really bad with TV series, so so I wish um, I was a little bit more caught up with it. But I've never been a big fan of Tim Burton, but I am a huge fan of Luis Guzman, mm. and, and I just watched Jenna Ortega in this horror film called X. So um, I do sort of get the appeal she, she's a she's great so uh, i do look forward to to seeing it so back to me um more of a children's film but uh and of course if you watch american films uh you've probably heard of it but it's a it's sort of a little indie film called marcel the show of shoes on um it started as a couple of uh shorts on the internet i think a few years ago and the idea is that it's about this little tiny talking shell called Marcel. And it starts it starts as this sort of mockumentary about its his life. Um, and the jokes about, oh, what he has to do as a tiny little shell, how he sort of does life's little things. But, of course, it turns into this really meditative, um, philosophical things about life. It's about how this little shell um, in the midst of a huge world, um, lots of change, ever changing world and, you know, insane difficulties to survive as a little shell, how it, you know, looks at life with positivity and sort of becomes friendly with everything or accepts everything that comes this way. And the feature film uh, expands on that a lot more because um, it has to tell a story, right? So Jenny Slate, who um, also co-wrote it and voiced Marcel is back. Um, the director, um, Dean Fletcher Camp is her well was her husband at the time when they made the short and now her ex-husband but they came back together to to make this film and the story is about now it's about Marcel the little shell um looking for his lost family his family went away went missing a few years ago so now uh he has to he's been living with his grandmother voiced by none other than Isabella Rossellini um and they have to sort of survive in this house and later on Marcel decides to seek his family it's just the sweetest cutest um indie film that could and it, it, it I know it has huge fans um among people who really love it and made a decent amount of money when it came out in the theaters uh, even though you know not a huge amount of money but for an indie animated film it's it's well animation slash live action um it did all right and i just love this movie to death it, it, it's only available um physically via the a24 uh store a24 is the distributor and the the producer that make the film but um digitally it's, it's available on itunes and all those stores um at least in the u.s i'm not sure elsewhere but i went and and paid the premium on that blu-ray right after i watched it because it's just so lovely and um yeah i i just love this film to death really my next pick uh from 2022 is another anime feature uh, this one also on Netflix and, uh, you know, Netflix has been trying to get more and more into the anime space to complete with, compete with, uh, the big guns like, uh, Crunchyroll. And, uh, I guess now that Crunchyroll has merged with, uh, Sony's Funimation, they're an even bigger power in the anime universe. Um, but also of course, Amazon prime, um, is in the space as well and some upstarts, which I'll talk about in just a minute. 
But uh, this particular pick was on Netflix, and it is Cyberpunk Edge Runners. So if you're not familiar, Cyberpunk 2077 was um, this long-awaited video game uh, that was put out by CD Projekt Red. Finally came out in the end of 2020 um, to a lot of controversy, I would say, because of bugs and people thinking that it got pushed out too early. And even at this point now, we're recording in the start of 2023, there are those who think that the game is not as as good as it was promised to be. Uh, of course, it was... Um, in the forefront of a lot of uh, PR, I guess, because of the attachment of Keanu Reeves to the project. I've played through it. I finished it. He's great in it. I got through it. I enjoyed it. I liked it. And then I kind of moved on to other stuff. Um, I'm not somebody who goes and puts a lot of replay time into stuff once I finish the main the main story. Um, then along comes this little uh, standalone series called Cyberpunk Edge Runners, which is done by Studio Trigger which is set in the cyberpunk universe. Um, And of course, this is coming out two years after (laughs) the game itself is released. But in, in, I guess, in terms of a timeline, it's actually a prequel to the game because the events that are happening across the series happen prior to um, the things that happen in the game, though there are a couple characters who are featured from the game in Edge Runners. There's no real direct... Um, correlation to the the main storyline that's happening there and the main things that's happening in Edge Runners. Though I think CD Projekt Red they did some uh, coordination with the, the the anime show creators to bring some things like some skins over and some clothing styles over, so that those could be content that you could now sort of get in-game. But yeah, this kind of came out from left field because I was not expecting it to be good, and a lot of my friends who um, are in the game space and also the anime space were not expecting it to be good, and it pretty much universally knocked our socks off. Um, It's very adult because it's set in the cyberpunk universe, um, so it's not your typical sort of, you know, One Piece or Dragon Ball or uh, even, um, you know, Demon Slayer or My Hero Academia a shonen style thing. There's a very shonen style protagonist to be sure, but it's very adult. Um, this is this is not um, something that you want the kids to watch. Again, this is done by Studio Trigger, who's really been doing a lot of good work of late. Um, they worked on a couple of the episodes of Star Wars Visions back in 2021. Um, they've also been on um, you know projects going all the way back to like I think one of the very first Netflix animes was. Uh, Little Witch Academia, which they've worked on, and they worked on a couple of the spinoff films for that. They've worked on the SSS, S, sorry, there's four S's, SSS, SSSS, Gridman, and, and SSSS, uh, Dinazeron shows, which have gotten some pretty good praise as well. Their style is kind of mi- a mix of some of the newer forms of anime, so they've got a kind of unique look to them that doesn't appeal to everybody, um, but I think it works really, really well for um, the the fact that they're playing in the cyberpunk universe in that's set in this uh, fictional city called Night City, so um, I really liked it. I think that if you're somebody who uh, enjoyed cyberpunk or enjoys cyberpunk style stories, um, even if you don't want to play the game, this is something that you can sit down and go through. And it is a one off. There is not a season two for this. This is a this is a, a one-and-done series. That's how they planned it, even though it was super successful, I think, 
um, and, and has been received a lot of praise, there's no more than this. So it's something that you don't have to feel like you're going to be getting super invested in and have to wait for a season two and a season three and, and you know, maybe ultimately a cancellation down the line. Um, it's something you can go in, get out. It's, it's not a long series. It's not like a 25-episode thing. Um, it's a shorter series, so it's easily accessible. But just again, beware. It's not for the kiddies. So my last um, choice, um, not my top, not my least. It's just sort of a random order, but it is a TV show. Um, so I've been I've been going to the gym uh, quite a bit for the months leading up to my 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 wedding, um, and so I had to put on iPad, you know, put on a, a show, put on a, a film, whatever. And one of the things that you know really got me watching really from day to day and got me through those long cardio sessions was this tv series called vigil and it's on the bbc iplayer in in the uk and it's on peacock in america um it's a six episode it could be a limited series but i think there's a second season coming i don't think you need one but anyway it's a it's very well contained sort of six six episode tv series it's sort of an agatha christie but without the brilliant detective part uh, murder mystery is set on a submarine so the great thing is yeah if someone was killed on a submarine and a police detective is sent down to the submarine to investigate and clashes with the sort of the sort of navy culture and enter the space where they're very hostile to outsiders what would happen and it's a great concept for a show so like i said it's a it's just murder mystery that's set in the submarine but at the same time it's also the murder mystery extends out to land so the detective um, also has sort of an assistant or a partner who is on land solving the mystery with the, the detective on a submarine. But of course, the trickiest thing is they cannot communicate with each other immediately. And any message they trade has people in the middle that filters. So that's that um, this, this sort of ounce of suspense that comes with that inability to for two people who are investigating the same case to communicate to communicate with each other whether they're in danger or whether they found something that could be dangerous to the other person or whatever. And it's just a really suspenseful show. Um, and it goes by really quickly. It's only six episodes and you don't have to, there's no cliffhanger that the case is solved by the very end. And it's just a very thrilling mystery, murder mystery show. And, and um, it's really easy to watch. So that's, that's as far as TV series goes, it was one of the easiest watch I had all year. So uh, I highly recommend this show. Excellent. Um, as for me, uh, I guess my last pick for the year and probably my, f uh, you know, it varies day to day, but my favorite thing, my favorite movie that I watched in, in the cinema last year, um, was definitely Jordan Peele's Nope. And I know this is uh, not a pick for everybody, but it was a film that feels like it was made for me, um, because <laughs> it is about film history. It is about horses and horse ranches. It is about weird things going on. It is about something in the sky. Um, all this stuff that just, you know, really, I loved it. I, it, it, um, it knocked my socks off. Jordan Peele as a director is somebody that continues to impress me because of his ability to go in and, and uh, twist things without it being kind of an M. Night Shyamalan twist, you know, where you're going in going, okay, what's he going to show me this time? I know he's going to show me something different, but it's not going to be this, you know, 11th hour twist right at the end. Um, he's going to he's gonna be playing with 
something to do with um, our expectations for a, a kind of genre. He's going to be, you know, uh, bending things a little bit in, in into his kind of own unique perspective. And I love the way that he plays with this. I know a lot of people don't. A lot of people, for you know, they they want to see they want to see the, the the key and peel Jordan Peele. You know, they they, <laughs> they want that guy back on uh, you know on the screen. And I think some of that comes through in some places, but it's not always there. Right. So I think it's a different tone that he brings um, to his film pieces. And for me, it's a tone that works really, really, really well. Um, if you haven't seen Nope and you think you know what it's about, you probably don't because it's about more than one thing. Um, and if you haven't been spoiled, I urge you to go and see it because I think there's uh, there's a lot there um, for a lot of different people who like a lot of different things. Um, it's not just one thing that kind of is alluded to on the, the poster, I guess, or in the trailers. So, yeah, no, I loved it. I, yeah, it, it's a film that has a lot of big ideas, but it doesn't distract itself from the storytelling. It's a, it's a film that tells a very coherent story from beginning to end, but at the same time, it holds a lot of big ideas about you know, more than, like you said, more than one thing. It's not just about that thing that's on the poster. It has deeper ideas within, but it doesn't beat you over the head with it, or it makes it doesn't make you feel dumb for not picking it up. You know what I mean? Um, it, it's just a really entertaining film at the same time that has a real sort of philosophical layers beneath it. And it's a perfect balance. It's one of those really great summer films that is more than a summer film. And it, it really satisfied multiple uh, quadrants in that sense. And yeah, it's just a hugely satisfying film. And I loved watching it on IMAX too. So that's our picks um, for 2022. Of course, there's a lot more stuff that we both loved. And um, I think at the end here, we'll just throw out a couple quick honorable mentions. Depending on the day of the week you talk to me, um, you know, RRR is still in my top slot. And we did talk about that on the podcast last year so go back and listen to that episode if you haven't seen it still on netflix um do check it out it is just i i know that tollywood bollywood cinema is not for everybody but this is a film that uh, i think is super entertaining and and deserves some attention and i was so happy to see that uh nacho nacho won <laughs> at the golden globes <laughs> um and as somebody who's seen some bollywood cinema i mean not a lot um, and I think maybe even Kevin has probably seen a lot more than I have. But, you know, you get a lot of these really super high-end productions for dance numbers and dance sequences. But that's one that still sticks with me, you know, um, to this day as one of the best. So I was glad to see that win. Of course, Everything Everywhere All at Once was very happy to see Michelle and Key get some recognition uh, at long last. Um, also at the Glo Golden Globes. And that was a film that I also really admired. And and props to Jamie Lee Curtis, too, for just being so super cool uh, with everything and, and the role she took on and her support for uh, the film and, and the players and everybody involved as well. Um, another, and, and probably my final pick that I'll go, because I could go on for other stuff, but um, is the another remake for 2022, and that is the Yurisei Yatsura remake. Um, if you're not familiar with this, this is a very famous um, manga and anime series from Rumiko Takahashi, one of the, the sort of renowned queens of uh, manga in, in Japan. 
Uh, and it had a series. It's out there. You can still find it. They're actually getting ready to do a release, a complete full series release on Blu-ray, uh, I think in a couple months. The uh, last part of 2022 saw the Blu-ray release of all the Yurusei Yatsura films and direct-to-video films. Um, so those are all out now. Um, if you're not familiar, if you've followed anime at all, you've probably seen some reference to Lum, who is this um, iconic alien character. She's based on the mythos of the Japanese Oni. So she's got horns, she's got sort of a tiger skin bikini, and she goes around and she electrocutes Ataru, which is uh, the boy that uh, she's kind of gotten, you know, circumstantially married to, this human. Uh, and he's a lech. He's a super lech, and he just wants to go around and be a super lech and chase after different girls, even though he's kind of won Lum over to be his wife. And the thing about this is I was very skeptical um, with the 2022 series. I was like, how are they going to do this? How are they going to pull this off? Because, you know, being a lech back in the 80s and the 90s was okay. But so much has changed since then, you know, the Me Too movement and all of that. How is this behavior going to play? Um, and while I won't, and I was afraid they were kind of kind of downplay the Ataru character and make him into sort of a um, a character who falls into this through hap, you know, through basically being unlucky rather than being an aggressive lech like he was. Um, but um, they didn't. They didn't really change him all that much. I think they've downplayed it a little bit. But the core of the character is still pretty much there. They just, it doesn't seem to be quite as prominent as it was in the old series. Um, but yeah, it's there. The animation um, looks great. It's a great update. It's not new. I mean, if, you, if you've read the manga, if you've seen the original series, um, it's going through the motions of kind of retelling the stuff again, um, though it's got some slightly different perspectives. But I think the animation looks gorgeous. And if it's a show that you've liked or ever wanted to, you know, take a look at, I'd say, start with the new series rather than digging up the old one because um, it's just so much nicer and, and cleaner and more vibrant now with the new animation forms. So those are sort of my honorable mentions for the year. And I think Kevin's got some to share. So I'll give you the last word, sir. Yeah, I got a little greedy. I picked five films, but I'll try and go quick. Um, so hopefully you guys don't get too lost in um, this uh, upcoming verbal diarrhea. But anyway, the first one is a Japanese film called Plant 75. I think some of you might have heard of it. It's an extension of a short that was in 10 years Japan. It's about um, a fictional plant, of course, in Japan, where anyone over 75 years old is um, able to volunteer um, to kill themselves or be uh, or commit assisted suicide to um, in, essentially to ease the burden on a uh, crumbling social security system. And it's a real issue that's happening in Japan. And um, I've seen one Western film critic is like, oh, it's hard to believe that so, um, J Japanese people would go along with it. But actually, Japan is exactly the type of place that would go along with a plan like this. Because one, uh, the crumbling social security system is something that's been talked about. Um, for decades now because of an aging um, country, a population. And and yeah, because there are less and less support uh, for people to be elderly. And um, Japanese people tends to be politically apathetic, people who would really go along whatever the government sells them. So it's a really credible f uh, vision of the future. And um, I think it's a really compelling film. 
Has has this critic ever seen Battle Royale, by the way? <laughs> Does he watch Japanese like, cinema at all? Does he pay he attention would to complain? You probably complain about the same thing. Oh, it's hard to believe that the kids are And going isn't along. wasn't there a there was a was it Suicide Club or Yeah, Suicide Club. Circle. Suicide Circle. Yeah, um, exactly. So, so it's a film that's really uh, timely and relevant and credible for the times, I think. And I truly believe that Plan Seventy Five is something that eventually Japanese people will go along with. Um, whether right. it's yeah. and that's a Star Trek episode too, I think, from the original series. Oh, really? There's a well. Also, goes back to that yeah. the, the or classic Logan, film... Logan Logan's Run, right? Yeah. Right, or it goes back to the classic film, the the Ballads of Nar- Narayama, I think Narayama, uh, Narayama, yeah, where the film is about a village where the the people take their elderly elder parents up to the mountain to die because they can't afford to feed them. So you know, for the country that make Ballad of Narayama, of course, there will be something like Plan Seventy Five, right? So, it, it, yeah, it's a it's a totally timely and relevant film, um, and I quite liked it. Um, I also like this Irish film called The Quiet Girl. It was kind of a sleeper hit in the UK. Um, I won't talk about it too much because it's not really available much outside the UK, but I think it has a, tr- a chance of getting that one of the five final nominations at the Oscars um, for foreign language film because it is in, uh, is it Celtic? I think it's Celtic or Gaelic, right? What they speak in Ireland. Um, so it's a 95% of dialogues in Gaelic. So, uh, it has one of the most moving final scenes I've seen in in uh, recent memory. Actually, it really made me tear up, and it's just a lovely, lovely little film. Um, another film, Japanese film, is called Missing. the The film starts out as a, as a story about a teenager who goes looking for her missing loser father, but then there's a serial killer involved, and it really goes really weird places, and it's one of the twistiest genre films I saw last year. So there's and... no relation to the John Cho movie, right? Of the, I think it's a, he's no. the same name. The, right? the sequel, right? The sequel, right? I think, yeah. The sequel, because the it, first one is called Searching. Oh, Searching, right, right. And then, and yeah, the sequel one. is called Missing, Missing which right, is right, coming right. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, no, relation no relation to that. It's not a remake or anything else. Yeah, but there is a U.S. release, I think, for missing uh, the Japanese one. So, so go look for it. Um, the fourth film is called Ascension. It, this one is on Paramount Plus. It's a documentary, um, a very I wouldn't say Wiseman esque, but it is a very observational documentary, sort of more like a documentary essay about capitalism in China. This is for the movie for all those who make fun of China, saying that there is socialist economy, but no. Chinese people are some of the most capitalistic people you will ever see in life, in this life, in this world, because it really shows sort of the capitalist tendencies of the new China. And um, it does it in a very quietly biting way, but it's also quite uh, eye-opening. I mean, not eye-opening for those of us who live right next to China, who sees these sort of these um, opportunistic tendencies that Chinese people have. It's sort of a sort of a rebound from the planned market economy uh, into into sort of so-called free economy, right? Is that that really hard bounce into it. And so people really lean into it in China for the last couple of decades. And you see some of that, that make money at, at all costs um, sort of psychology in China, but it doesn't do it in a critical way. It just does it in a very observational manner and very clear-minded about the message trying to tell. And I found it really fascinating. Yeah, this was a. I saw this too. It was um. They had it on a couple like online film festival, screen free screenings, and 
and I watched it with my wife and we both really liked it. It was, you know, yeah. it, it's, they've got some moments where like the camera is like not really focusing on, but it's near, um, like some service workers and you'll, you'll hear them talk about stuff. And then there's another one in comparison where it was like a dinner with some people who were obviously in the upper class and you'd hear them talk about stuff and, it was kind of, you know, I wouldn't say it was controversial, but I was like, ah, did these people really know they were being fit recorded? <laughs> you know, <laughs> because of some of the stuff they were saying. So it's really, it's a very interesting insight. And it's, uh, I'd, I'd agree with what Kevin says. If you're looking for something that's a bit more impartial and, and not looking to be like, you know, a headline grabber kind of a thing, as a documentary goes, it's one that you should definitely watch. Yeah, and like I said, it's really about, so pushing back on that that Western, I don't want to say Western bias, but that Western idea that oh yeah these guys are socialists. No, these guys are hungrier for and and and, and more ambitious than Western Western countries today, and that's why there's such such a big huge force in the global economy these days. And I think it really answers a lot of questions that people don't realize um, that they don't they don't see the answer to, I think. So I think it's a really important documentary to watch, whether you like China or not, you know, and uh, so so it's really interesting. Um, the last film, uh, it's a Korean film. It's not a particular new idea for, you know, those of us in the West who are used to watching political films in the West, but it's a Korean film called Kingmaker. Um, it's sort of based on a true story, um, but, you know, with names changed. But it's about this presidential candidate during the 1980s uh, under dictatorship of Park Chung-hee, where this or, yeah, this um, presidential candidate nearly beat the, the, the dictator. He nearly beat him in the election. And it's apparently the director sort of supposes that it's thanks to... Um, this political strategist uh, that actually no one ever really talks about or there's not much history about. But the idea is that um, this political strategist uh, knew how to play dirty, you know, against a regime that played equally dirty. It's a di dictatorship. So obviously you have to play dirty to beat those who play dirty. So it's a really fascinating look at how political campaigns are run uh, about when you have a candidate and the strategists who to clash on the really most basic fundamental values of how to run a political campaign. And um, interestingly, the the president uh, or the presidential candidate that the film is based on did eventually become president decades later. Um, but under, of course, democracy. So it's a really interesting look at how political campaigns are run and there's this whole section in the middle about how the candidate wins the primary to win the candidateship that is just really gripping um it's one of the most gripping political films you will watch i think in 2022 and unfortunately it didn't again it didn't travel very far um a few film festivals maybe but um i'm not sure how you find it i think it might be on itunes in the u.s now that there's so many korean films that get released quietly on home video in the U.S., so you might be able to find it, but yeah, I I was I just found it really fascinating. It was a really interesting film. You're listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. All right. Well, good stuff. And we will hopefully be back uh, in the not too distant future 
uh, to talk about uh, some other stuff that's making us happy, be it movies or otherwise. Um, so until then, I'm going to wish everybody a happy year of the rabbit, right? Because that's the the, the animal that's going to be we're going to be changing over to in uh, just under a week's time at the time of this recording. Uh, so have a happy Lunar New Year. And uh, you have been listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Our theme was, music was composed by Rob Jabor of Snow's Radio Orchestra. And if you'd like to be part of the show, you can get in touch with us at our website at concast.com. You can follow us over at Twitter at Comcast. You can email us at eastscreen at gmail.com. And you can find us at Facebook at East S West S. Uh, as always, you can also follow along with Mr. Ma in all that he's doing. So where can they find out more about you? Uh, I am at the Golden Rock on Twitter. That's one word, at the Golden Rock. I have a website that I barely use. It's called Asia in Cinema, but hopefully that will be back whenever they decide to hold the Hong Kong Film Awards again this year. It will be held, by the way. It will be held. Um, I just don't know when, but it will be held. So I'll be back on that site at that time. Um, otherwise, you can see the films that I'm subtitling. Uh, this year, we will see at least couple of films are coming out so everything under control the new year film is coming out um say i do to me the new film by kiwi chow that's coming out lost love the sammy chang film uh mad fate the new milky way film those will be rolling out uh in the in the coming coming months so hopefully you guys will uh, all get to see them uh, wherever you are all right and please do check out our friends over at the podcast on fire network and support all the great work that they do. Until then, this is the East Screen, West Screen Podcast saying, Happy Year of the Rabbit, and we'll see you next time. Happy Year of the Rabbit, everybody, and see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>